Christians, yes, on Thanksgiving Day. So this pattern is going to be repeated again. Believe it or not, it's going to be repeated again in the end times. All who have lived as strangers and pilgrims on the earth pursuing Christ and his new world will separate the history's final thanksgiving. In fact, the book of Revelation chapter 7 says that they will cry blessing and glory and thanksgiving to our God forever and ever. So, you see, our viewpoint concerning thanksgiving very well may determine destiny. So, welcome to the viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation as always with ever-increasing conviction, Tonka transforms, and today may very well be transformative of someone. For instance, do you want to have peace with God? Did you know that the Bible talks about thanksgiving as the secret to peace? In fact, if we go to the book of Leviticus, it says that we should offer uh, with the sacrifice of thanksgiving as a peace offering. The prayer of thanksgiving brings peace to God, peace with God. And let the peace of God rule in your heart and be thankful, said the Apostle Paul. In fact, thanksgiving is called a sacrifice. When you offer up the sacrifice of thanksgiving, offer it at your own will, said the writer of Leviticus. And in Psalms, I will offer to the sacrifice of thanksgiving. So here's another question. Do you want to know the will of God? Well, Jesus gave thanks. We know that. The Apostle Paul said, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. The psalmist numerous times says, offer unto God thanksgiving. Let's come before his face or his presence with thanksgiving. Let us enter his gates with thanksgiving. So here's the question that I have for you after all of that. Do you want to be prepared for Christ's second coming? Do you want to be prepared for Christ's second coming? You say, well, what does that have to do with thanksgiving? Well, listen up. We know for the Apostle Paul Talking to his ministry sidekick, Timothy, he said, in the last days, perilous times are going to come. Then, the Apostle Paul says, the day of the Lord will come, so be sober, and in everything give thanks. And then again, in the book of Revelation, the multitudes will cry before God and the Lamb, saying, blessing and glory, wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. If we're not prepared today to give thanks to God, we're not going to be prepared tomorrow to do it either. So before we launch into three separate thanksgivings that we want to focus on here today on Viewpoint, I want to talk to you about this matter of grace and gratitude. Everybody wants to talk about grace but very few want to talk about gratitude. So we're going to talk about grace and gratitude for just a moment. Would you be interested to know what God's prescription might be for your overall wholeness in an unholy world? It's gratitude. Gratitude, trust, and peace. So, Let's talk about our country for just a moment. It was birthed in Thanksgiving, first in 1619, 
then in 1621, it was preserved through Thanksgiving, as we're going to find out as we go through three different Thanksgivings. It was been blessed by Thanksgiving, and yet we betrayed our country by abandoning Thanksgiving in our hearts, while God said in everything give thanks. So we need to have gratitude for the little things. And in times like these, when we see tumult around us, we see treachery, we see betrayal, even by our governmental leaders that are supposed to be dedicated to us as ministers of God to us for good. Certainly, somewhere along the lines, there is some place to give thanks, something for which we can give thanks. How about this? This may challenge you. How about giving thanks for the trials and the testings that we're experiencing now? If we were to do that, then it might help us to recognize that these things that are happening to us today may very well be for our good in preparation for the challenges that we're going to face tomorrow. That's why the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, talked about this matter of giving thanks and gratitude in the midst of troubles and tribulations. So, yes, indeed, sometimes it's hard for us because we're so moved by the flesh, by the troubles that are afflicting our minds and our hearts, that we forget that there's still much to be thankful for, even the testings and trials. Because if we're not tested, we'll never be able to pass a test. You have to be tried before you can overcome. You have to have a battle before you can have a victory. So we can thank God for some of these battles. We can thank God for some of the testings and trials. And what would happen in our minds and hearts if we actually did that? It might just change an awful lot about our hand-wringing and anxiety and troubles that we experience here in the natural here on in our country today. So here are some things that I'd like to just uh, run by you very quickly, looking at some surprising benefits of gratitude. And uh, it comes from all over the, the country, various different sources, both conservative and liberal, First, I want to ask you some questions. If we find that that uh, thanksgiving is critical to the mind and heart of God, in everything give thanks because this is the will of God concerning you. So how do we recover the attitude of gratitude? How do we do that? Years ago in the 1970s, you may recall the song that came out called My Tribute. It begins with these words, how can I say thanks? How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved that you gave your life for me. How can I say thanks? When should I say thanks? Why should I say thanks? What should cause me to say thanks? Where should I say thanks? To whom should I say thanks? And what should I be thankful for? Just some introductory questions here today on Viewpoint to set the stage. We'll be right back. Stay tuned, friends. This is Viewpoint. 
Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. How can I say thanks? Think about that. Let it resonate in your mind a little bit. How can or should I say thanks? For what should I say thanks? And does it make any difference? Oh, my friends, you'd be shocked. It makes a huge amount of difference. Even God knows that. Maybe that's one of the reasons why he says, in everything, give thanks. But there's another reason why. It's not just for what it does for us personally. It's for how it sets our stage, the stage of our minds, our hearts, our thinking, with regard to God. You see, if I don't recognize that he is God and I'm not, then why should I say thanks? For what should I say thanks? I'm, I'm the creator of my own benefits. I'm the self-made man or woman, you see. I can do it my way. Kind of like Frank Sinatra who said, I'll do it my way. You see, thanksgiving helps to bridge the gap between us as a selfish, sinful human being and recognizing that we aren't who we think we are. We're made in God's image, but we're not God, and we need to give him recognition that he is God and there is none other. When I do that on a continuing basis, it's amazing what it does to free up my selfish propensities, the greed in my own heart, and the pride that so easily besets us, and to be able to say, no, I am so grateful. I don't have a spirit of entitlement. I'm grateful. Gratitude is good for the soul and helps the heart, too. Did you know that? Gratitude is good for the soul and helps the heart, too. Research shows that feeling grateful doesn't just make you feel good. It literally helps your heart. It fends off depression, stress, anxiety, can increase the risk, can, uh, which those things, by the way, can increase the risk of heart disease. A professor of family medicine and public health at the University of California, San Diego, said he specializes in disease processes and been researching behavior and heart health for decades. And he wondered if the very specific feeling or attitude of gratitude made a difference. So he did a study. He recruited 186 men and women, average age 66, who had already damaged, had some damage to their heart either through years of sustained high blood pressure or a result of a heart attack or an infection of the heart. So each one filled out a standard questionnaire to rate how grateful they felt for people, places, or things in their lives. Well, it turned out that the more grateful people were, the healthier they were. They had less depressed mood, they slept better, and had more energy. So when the doctor did the blood test to measure inflammation, 
the body's natural response to injury or plaque buildup in the arteries, he found lower levels among those who were grateful. In other words, a better heart health. So, he did a follow-up study to look even more closely at gratitude. He tested 40 patients for heart disease and noted biological indications of heart disease, such as inflammation and heart rhythm. Then he asked half of the patients to keep a journal and write about two or three things they were grateful for. And people wrote about everything. So after two months, the doctor retested all 40 patients and found health benefits for the patients who wrote in their journals. Inflammation levels were reduced and heart rhythm improved. But he still wasn't sure exactly how gratitude helped the heart. But he thinks it's that it reduces stress, a huge factor in heart disease. So you might say, well, let the sense of gratitude wash over you. It might actually end up being a blessing to your physical being. Well, that doctor was not alone. Time magazine came out with a piece called Seven Surprising Health Benefits for Gratitude. Gratitude can make you more patient, can improve your relationships, can improve self-care, can help you sleep, can stop you from overeating, can help ease depression, can give you happiness that lasts. But that wasn't alone. Newsmax also came up with a piece. Reap the health benefits of practicing gratitude. Here are some of them. Reducing depression. A review of 70 studies that included responses from more than 26,000 people found that higher levels of gratitude are linked to lower levels of depression. Well, that really makes sense, doesn't it? Because we realize that life isn't all about me. So a narcissistic life is not going to make you healthy because you think life is all about you. If you're ungrateful, you think that it's all about you. And so you're going to have depression. You're going to have anxiety. So another one of the health benefits they discovered was if you find yourself focusing on negative thoughts of the past or the future or even the present, find something you're grateful for right now. It supports heart health. We've already talked about that. It relieves stress. Gratitude can help calm the central nervous system. You may find your parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest system, it kicks in to help bring down your blood pressure, your heart rate, and breathing to promote overall relaxation. It improves sleep. So, research in the field of social science has found that gratitude offers significant benefits. Cultivating gratitude can open the door to a different perspective or viewpoint. The goodness in our lives. We can learn to see the bigger picture and navigate adversity with greater resilience. Maybe God had it right when he said, in everything, give thanks. What do you think? Well, again, you're listening to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Crisp. Our viewpoint concerning gratitude uh, is critically important. Years ago, I would say maybe 20, 25 years ago now, the Holy Spirit quickened my own mind and heart. Exactly how he did that, I'm not sure. I can't remember now. I just know that he did. And he began to show me how critically important gratitude is, an attitude of gratitude. So, as I considered that, 
And I began to apply that in practical areas in my life. Yes, even with my wife. Finding different ways to express gratitude or to be grateful in the first place. Not complain about things, but to be grateful. Here's what happened. My mind and my heart changed. Whatever propensity I might have had, which was not a lot, but it still was for murmuring or complaining or being unsatisfied and so on, began to disappear. And it changed. The more grateful I was, the more grateful I became. Just before this program, I was prompted to go directly to my wife and say, I have just been prompted by the Lord to express to you, even specifically right now before I begin this radio program, how grateful I am for you. For you as my wife, for the things that you do to beautify our home, to beautify our lives, I am grateful. Wow. What do you think happened? A wonderful return smile. And a hug. You know, this matter of gratitude is more important than most of us really think. It began to change my life completely. It changed even my viewpoint concerning other people, concerning ministry, concerning God's work in and through my life or not, whatever it was. I was grateful not for the great numbers that are out there, or the great volume of donations that come in, but grateful for the particular privilege of being able to do what we do. And my wife and I express that gratitude regularly, every week, sometimes daily. Gratefulness, gratitude, thanksgiving. Are you a thankful person? Just asking, I I, I don't necessarily know who you are, and I can't see the whites in your eyes, so I can't shoot at you. But are you grateful? Really, don't don't say that just uh, in a generic way. Are you a grateful person? Would other people around you consider you to be a grateful person? Do you know that ingratitude kept the children of Israel out of the promised land? It really did. Ingratitude, murmuring and complaining, never satisfied, kept 600,000 men, 20 years of age and older, and their wives from the promised land, except for two men, Joshua and Caleb. And the Bible says the reason they were allowed into the promised land is because they had a different attitude or spirit. In other words, they didn't complain all the time. They didn't murmur. They trusted God. Now listen very carefully. If we don't have an attitude of gratitude, it's a signal that we really don't trust God. I want you to think about that for a moment. If I don't have a continuing attitude of gratitude in general, it is a signal. It's a diagnostic signal 
that I don't really trust God. Now, it should have been a diagnostic signal for all of those people that came out of Egypt, but they didn't get it. And God kept trying to warn them. And he kept trying to tell them, you're not thankful, you're not grateful for what I do for you. I took you across the Red Sea. I delivered you from Egypt. I opened the waters of the Red Sea for you. You walked through on dry land. I destroyed Pharaoh's army for you. I gave you water coming out of the rock. I fed you with manna for 40 years, and you're still not grateful. What is it with you people? (laughs) Can you imagine, Father God, what is it with you people? So he said, finally, you're out of here. You said, I wish we had died in the land of Egypt. He said, okay, you're all going to die in the wilderness as if you are in Egypt because I can't get the spirit of Egypt out of you. So, I have something for you that may help some to recover a spirit of gratitude, and that is what it means to come out of Egypt. You see, they came out of Egypt, but God couldn't get Egypt out of them. And so they didn't get to the promised land. Are you walking, are we walking in the spirit of Egypt or the spirit of the promised land? It has everything to do with trusting God and gratitude. So you might want to get a copy of my book, Out of Egypt, More and more people say it's one of the most powerful books they've ever read. It's life-changing. It gives a whole new perspective, even on our viewpoint concerning the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and tying it all together and help us to see what God was really trying to get, uh, the message he was really trying to communicate to us. And it changes our life out of Egypt. It's a $17 book, yours for $10. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, since we mentioned coming out of Egypt, did you know that when... The original settlers came over to these shores, specifically in Massachusetts and Connecticut. Did you know that they saw this land as like a promised land? In fact, when we were up there uh, just a couple of weeks ago, there are a number of towns and streets and so on that are named right out of the Bible. One was called New Canaan. Well, the promised land was called Canaan land. Canaan, the land of Canaan. They saw this land as a unique place that Gentiles could actually be living out the spirit of what God was looking for when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. So they we're being allowed by God into a new Canaan. So I wonder, would Thanksgiving be associated with that attitude? A new Canaan? You bet. That leads us to the first English-speaking Thanksgiving that occurred right here in the United States of America. 
We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. A number of years ago, I had the privilege, my wife and I had the privilege, of going to America's first English-speaking observance of Thanksgiving, well, the place where it occurred, on the site of what is now called Berkeley Plantation. It's referred to as Berkeley 100. It occurred in 1619. Berkeley Plantation, right on the James River, the birth river of America. Here's what they said, and I'm going to use this old English that is engraved right there on the site. We ordain that the day of our ship's arrival at the place assigned for the plantation in the land of Virginia shall be yearly and perpetually kept holy as a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God. Wow. It was to be kept yearly and perpetually from 1619. Now, a lot of people want to focus exclusively on what happened at Richmond, Virginia in 1619 with the landing of the first slaves. Why would we choose just to focus on that and not focus on the other things? Maybe we just want to commiserate. Maybe we want to be just like the children of Israel, complaining and murmuring all the time, rather than focusing on perhaps some of the reasons why God brought people over here. Maybe it wasn't all bad. Maybe it was primarily for the good. For instance, little Dove McGowan, she was a leader in uh, one of the tribes here locally, in uh, Virginia, the Mattapani tribe. And when I was the state coordinator for the National Day of Prayer Task Force, I had uh, Little Dove McGowan come and speak to our state and those who were present with us at that particular uh, celebration. And uh, she said that in spite of the fact that there were things that were not good, not pleasant, that happened between Indians Uh, Native Americans and uh, settlers, whether it was in Virginia or up in Massachusetts or Connecticut, she was grateful because she said, if those white men had not come, I would not have known Jesus. So she looked upon God's greater purposes and stopped wringing the hands 
and worrying, complaining about the negative aspects of it. There are always going to be negative things as it relates to human beings. Did you know that? There are in your family. Just consider what's going to happen tomorrow or whatever it is that you're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving. Hmm? Some people think it's one of the most agonizing times as families are in disagreement and so on. Why should we think that things weren't perfect when God brought people over here from not so jolly old England to settle and to pursue religious freedom? Were they not like you and me? Were they perfect? No. Why can't we be thankful? It's because we don't want to be. People have agendas. They don't want to be thankful. Not too long ago, a black gentleman who has been a longtime friend of mine, I met in Richmond, Virginia, 30 years ago. He has assisted me in many different ways as a musician. And he came to me and he said, Chuck, I think the problem with we black folk in America is we're just not grateful. We're not grateful and we refuse to forgive. We're not grateful and we refuse to forgive. I said, what do you mean grateful? He said, well, if it had not been for the white man bringing us over here, we wouldn't have known Jesus. Hmm. Think about it, my friends. Viewpoint really does determine destiny. It really does. So let's talk a little bit about the viewpoint of those Settlers that came there at Berkeley 100 in 1619. There were 35 settlers, 19 crewmen aboard a very small uh, English vessel called the good ship Margaret. So they arrived on December 4th, not exactly uh, a great time to arrive in Virginia because it's pretty cold. So they went ashore in a holy hush. They knelt down and began giving thanks to God for guiding and keeping them safe during their 3,000-mile voyage across the Atlantic from Bristol, England. Actually, their prayer actions that day were quite in keeping with the 1606 First Virginia Charter. You could call it the birth certificate of American civilization with its single written purpose, which was the propagating of the Christian religion or faith. And that purpose was repeated in the 1609 Second and the 1612 Third Virginia Charters. And it was evidenced by the cross-raising service at Cape Henry in Virginia in 1607. And by the planting of a cross along the James River up the, by the famous Christopher Newport, right there at what is now called Richmond, Virginia. That's why God calls us here. He called us here from Southern California to begin to reiterate his call across the nation in the final, shall we say, opportunity for this country to get its act together and return to the God who made and preserved us a nation. That's why he called us to Richmond, not Washington, D.C., to Richmond, because it was a spiritual matter. So this broadcast airs and has aired for the past 28 and a half years right off the shores of the James River, the birth river of America. So, 
two years and 17 days after the 1619 Berkeley Thanksgiving, the religious Mayflower pilgrims landed. In 1621, after a year after they landed in 1620 at Plymouth Rock, they had their Thanksgiving, a one-time only thing, though it was very sincere, and there was nothing said about there being an annual event. The annual event was declared at 1619 at Virginia 100 or Berkeley Plantation. So, we are going to take a look now from there. We're going to go back to the pilgrims up north. The pilgrims were overwhelmingly grateful for their survival of seven weeks on tempestuous seas during a very cruel winter. And after having experienced God's blessing in their first harvest season, half of their number having died, Governor Bradford records these words. They rejoiced not a little. In other words, they had great rejoicing. So here we are right now. We now face a great wave of problems, as everybody knows, in our country that is threatening to capsize our ship of state. We arrived here, and we're here, that the ship is about ready to capsize. Yet at the same time, we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? God has specifically commanded us, in his word, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. So we have a choice. Are we just going to continue to complain, or are we going to give thanks? Consider this, friends. Thanksgiving calls for giving. That is, giving with thanks. It's the pill, you might say, that will break the greed fever that burns in our land, that burns in our country. God has a remedy. Part of that remedy is gratitude. If we would indeed be grateful, instead of murmuring and complaining all the time, we might just see God divide some Red Seas again. We might, just, we might just see him provide some manna again in ways that we never would have imagined. We must just see him provide and turn this great ship of state around in ways that perhaps we never thought possible. We might actually see that the things that are happening in the country, even though they may be very painful, even though we may have lost a lot, even half of our settlers, we might just see that God was still in it. And he had a purpose. And he had a plan. And it includes you and me. And this matter of Thanksgiving is a very rare thing among nations. Very rare. Very rare indeed. After the Declaration of Independence was signed, the first National Day of Thanksgiving was declared November 1st, 1777, by the Continental Congress. My wife's great-great-great-great-great-uncle, Samuel B. Huntington, was then President of the United States under the Continental Congress. Did you know that? He was the first President of the United States. 
Not under our existing Constitution, but under the Continental Congress. Mm -hmm. So, after passing the Bill of Rights, which included the First Amendment, Congress requested President George Washington to issue a National Day of Thanksgiving, which he did on October 3rd, 1789. Here's what he said. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly implore His protection and favor, and whereas both houses of Congress have, by their joint committee, requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer, to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, which, by the way, came after Thousands of Americans, the colonists, lost their lives. Thankful? Yes. So he said, now, therefore, I do recommend Thursday, the 26th day of November, to be devoted by the people of these United States to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue. Now, from there, we move forward. Many other proclamations, but then we're going to move forward to a time of terrible problems in our country and Thanksgiving. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. After the War of 1812 was ended, President James Madison proclaimed a day of Thanksgiving, March 4, 1815. He said it should be observed by the people of the United States with religious solemnity as a day of thanksgiving and of devout acknowledgments to Almighty God for His great goodness manifested restoring to them the blessing of peace. No people, he said, ought to feel greater obligation to celebrate the goodness of the great disposer of events, that is God, and of the destiny of nations than the people of the United States. Leaping forward, we have Abraham Lincoln, who proclaimed the first annual National Day of Thanksgiving, October 3rd, 1863, in the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity. Hmm. In the midst of a civil war, how can we give thanks? That was the question we launched 
the program with today. How can we say thanks? How can we give thanks? How can we give thanks amid very trying circumstances? Should we? Maybe it would change our attitude toward what is happening and why it is happening. Maybe we would understand that there are reasons why, maybe part of our own participation that have created the circumstances out of which the current trials are emanating. Maybe. But we won't know unless our attitude changes. So, nearly 200 years after the first settlers landed at Berkeley 100 in 1619, the seeds of Thanksgiving gave birth to a nation. George Washington, in his inaugural address, led his countrymen in acknowledging, quote, no people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. Every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of a providential agency. How could he say that when thousands lost their lives, women lost their husbands and their sons in the Revolutionary War? How could he say this? Because, friends, he had a bigger vision. Many of us have such a myoptic vision of life and of circumstances and so on, we just can't bring ourselves to possibly see things from God's viewpoint. We say that God's in control, but we don't really believe it. Not really. The children of Israel coming out of Egypt were actually heirs according to the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were the children of Israel. They were heirs to the promise, but they didn't get to the promised land because of their attitude that was not grateful. They saw things through a myoptic viewpoint, constantly complaining about what they didn't have rather than what they did have. They could not and would not see how God was working among them even through testing and trial. Forty years of testing and trial. Jesus himself had to go through 40 days of extreme testing, remember. Fasting for 40 days and tested by the devil. Some of you are being tested by the devil. Are you going to pass the test? Sometimes I feel like I'm being tested every day. This last weekend was a time of great testing. How am I going to respond? Now we're going to take a leap forward to 1862. Encamped at Berkeley Plantation, where the first Thanksgiving was made in 1619, were 140,000 Union troops. They had gathered under General George McClellan on the spacious grounds of the old plantation after a great siege against the capital of the Confederacy at Richmond. It was a time of terrible agony for the country that was close to losing 500,000 of her choice men in a struggle that threatened to tear the nation apart. 
you could hear what seemed to be the sound of the trumpet. It was the lonely sound of an army bugler, a bugler, whose masterful lips on that military horn pierced the Virginia air. It was a new piece. The sound of taps had been born to officially mourn America's fallen. Right there at Berkeley 100, taps. Lincoln, who had reviewed the proofs at Berkeley, made an official plea to the nation. He knew, like George Washington before him, and the Berkeley 100 settlers before him, that unless the nation came humbly and in thanksgiving to the God who rules in the affairs of men, there was little hope to restore the light and glory of a broken people. So, in the pathos of national agony on March 30th, 1863, he cried out to the American people with these words, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've been preserved these many years, but have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us, and we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our own hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior virtue or wisdom of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before that offended power. And so it is. My friends, at this momentous hour in America's history, right now, as we collectively lurch forward, many struck by exploding shrapnel to the Civil War of values, thousands of our countrymen and their children have already fallen. We're again testing whether this nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure, aren't we? And if we would endure, we must first give thanks to the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. To give thanks is first to remember, to remember the mighty acts of God in our midst and to give him credit. To do so requires that you and I humble ourselves. We have to recognize how severely we have breached his covenant and spurned his blessing, just as the children coming out of Egypt did. And it leads us to individually and corporately repent of our personal and national sins in order that we may, he may heal our land. So, in this twilight hour, the faint call of the bugle can again be heard in the distance, can't it? Listening closely, you can hear it. It's the mournful sound of taps. But this time, its lonely cry is not for America's fallen, but for a fallen America. Yet there remains some hope, because the sound of the bugle is tentative, it's uncertain. The nation has been badly wounded. She staggers amidst the raging battle where men have become lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient, unthankful, unholy, rebellious. Will America recover? Will she give thanks? Will you? Will she repent? Will you? Will her mothers and fathers again praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation? Will her mighty men again exalt the God of our fathers in the land? Will you? You see, America's future depends on whether we will humble ourselves before God and be thankful. 
To be thankful is to remember. To remember is to become personally and corporately accountable for the memory and the demand it places upon us to change our ways. Otherwise, friends, it's taps. It's taps for for our country. Can you hear that lone cry of the bugle in the, in the background? This time it's not for the fallen in America. It's for a fallen America. From Thanksgiving to taps. Now, I indicated to you that there were three Thanksgivings that we wanted to talk about. The first Thanksgiving was at 1619 at Berkeley 100. That was the one that was proclaimed to be kept continually throughout our nation's history. Then there was the Thanksgiving that we generally remember and celebrate there from the the, uh, pilgrims in 1621. But then there is a third Thanksgiving. And that's the one that ultimately matters more than all others. It's the thanksgiving that's recorded in the book of Revelation, chapter 7. The book of Revelation. Yeah, the book of Revelation, friends. Multitudes will cry before God and the Lamb, that is Jesus Christ, saying blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Now, what I say now, what we say now, is critically important. If you want to stand among that group, the multitude that will cry before God in the heavens, And before the Lamb, crying blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. It's got to begin now. Today is the opportunity and the command to give thanks. Today is the day to be grateful. Today to the American Indian and Native American is the day to be grateful, not for injury that came upon you inappropriately, but because you were introduced through it all, that you learned to trust in Jesus. You learned to trust in God. All my black brothers and sisters throughout the country, for those of you who came to this country under terribly adverse circumstances, is it possible for you to readjust your mind and heart, not to forget that slavery was horrific. But to remember that God, through it all, has brought you to a place to trust in Jesus. But do you? Or are you just going to keep complaining? Are you going to tear down more statutes in order to try to redeem yourself? Friends, we are playing horrific games with ourselves and with our history. Instead of remembering, we're trying to forget. God told us to remember. We're trying to forget. 
And we're doing everything that we can to forget because we don't want to remember the mighty acts of God and the things that he did, even through it all, to bring us to a point of trusting him. Don't want to remember that. We'd rather remember and murmur and complain about the lack of water or the lack of food or the lack of this or the lack of that or being in the wilderness. Are you getting the point? How is it that African Americans can look to the story of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and not see how much they resemble the story of ingratitude, murmuring, and complaining that kept them from the promised land. Have your eyes yet seen the glory of the coming of the Lord? He's trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed his faithful lightning from his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on, friends, whether you see it or not. It's time to be grateful. God's waiting for us to be grateful. Thanks for joining us. I hope this has been helpful here today, encouraging in many ways, helpful to your health, helpful to our spiritual health, and so on, and the endurance of our country. Get a copy of the book, Out of Egypt, $10 on our website, saveus.org. It will drastically change your life. Out of Egypt. SaveUs.org, call us 1-800-SAVE-USA, write to us at $5 for postage. And remember, be grateful. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.